Hey everybody, welcome back to the Reclamation Podcast, where our goal is to help you reclaim good practices for following Jesus. I'm Tony, and today is episode 183 of the podcast, and today you've got a real treat. I'm sitting down with pastor, speaker, marriage, activist, Irene Rollins. Irene has this incredible new book out called Reframe Your Shame, and it's all about experiencing freedom from the things in life that might be holding you back, the shameful things, the hard things. She shares her she shares her story of addiction and we talk about the church and what it means to surround each other in community. Such a good conversation with Pastor Irene. I know you're going to love it. And hey, if you do love it, hit that subscribe button right there wherever you listen to podcasts. Go ahead and hit it. Leave a rating, a review on iTunes or Spotify and the highest compliment you can give us, share this episode with a friend. I'm so thankful to be in this community with each and every one of you. And uh, remember, if there's anything that we can do to help you, please don't hesitate to let me know. The best place to find me is on Instagram at TWMILT. Now, without any further ado, here's my conversation with Pastor Irene Rollins. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the podcast. I'm excited today to have author and pastor Irene Rollins. Irene, thank you so much for being here. So honored to be with you guys. So honored. So I always like to kind of start in the macro before we go micro. And you've got a brand new resource out, Reframe Your Shame, and we're going to talk about all of that. But you do so many things. You're an apostolic pastor at a church. You do marriage ministry. How how would you define the call that God has placed on your life? I would say right now, um, my husband and I, our calls kind of align. (laughs) Obviously, we're called to marriages and we're called to the marriages of leaders primarily. Um, Mm -hmm. Obviously, the masses, but our focus right now is on church leaders. And when you hear a little bit more about uh, our story, you kind of understand why I'm so passionate about um, the marriages of leaders. I believe it's the loudest, proudest, best gospel message that we can preach to the world is a healthy mm-hmm. marriage. And um, we have uh, overcome a lot. So we just want to share that with the world and give people hope. Um, I'm a recovery activist. Um, I like to share about my overcoming of uh, addiction in my life and just uh, bring about awareness to people about emotional health and um, how our lack of awareness of our internal worlds can uh, become something that makes us sick or reach for coping mechanisms that can wreck our lives. So marriage, recovery, and I would say leaders, speaking into the lives of leaders, that's how I would define the season of my life. That's so good. And I, I appreciate uh, the way that you call it a season too, because I think it gives a lot of space for things to shift and change. I, I am curious, what have you seen with leaders coming out of COVID? I, I don't know that in my lifetime, we've seen a more stressful season for leaders and and. In my own story, I left the local church to go do nonprofit work in the midst of that. And I know a lot of leaders seem to be shifting. What What are you seeing in, in leaders and in their marriages, maybe more specifically? You know, it's interesting that you say you transitioned. Uh, we transitioned out of senior pastoring. My husband and I were senior pastors of his parents' church. We uh, took, a, took it over. We pastored for 10 years together. 
um, relaunching mm. their church. Uh, and prior to that, we served them for another 12 years. And we've, it's only been a year now that we transitioned our church to new leadership. It was like a merge, but we, um, the younger couple <laughs> took it over and um, they're running the good race and uh, doing an amazing job. But for Jimmy and I, what we noticed during COVID was just the exposure of unhealth emotional unhealth that was already there in pastors and leaders and in our world, mm. period. Um, but then the trauma of COVID uh, impacted us all in different ways. People went um, sideways <laughs> to cope with their their issues, whether the, the mental health crisis, uh, the numbers have increased, addiction, every all the numbers in addiction went up during COVID. And what we noticed was that was happening even in church leadership, even in church leadership. Mm. So um, we were having marriages fail, lots of crisis. We were getting calls from friends and um, uh, like uh, these overseers. Um, I don't know what, what's the better word for that. And uh, so I don't use Christianese, but um, some senior leaders were calling us in to help with crisis management um, because we saw a lot of relationships falling apart, infidelity, um, porn addiction, going to an all-time high when people are isolated mm -hmm. in their homes, um, medicating on, uh, you know, alcohol and food. And um, it was breaking families apart. And we just felt like, okay, let's do something about it. Clearly, there's a, uh, uh, a space where God wants us to use us because we were trying to pastor a church, but we were spending so much time pastoring pastors <laughs> and we couldn't do both. <laughs> so we figure, Hey, let's, um, we listened to God when we felt the, the, um, time to transition, we handed over our church and now we focus on helping pastors be as healthy as they can so they can lead strong and lead well, um, and shepherd people the way God has called us to do it in a way that's healthy, um, not killing themselves or their family while they're doing it. Yeah. I, I think, uh, one of the things that I really like to see in the church landscape is there's a shift away from pastors having to kill themselves, kill themselves in order to, to help the flock survive. I, I think that's an important shift. W one of the questions that I always love to ask leaders, especially leaders who've been uh, who, who are a little bit more seasoned, who've been doing it for a while, is is how do you define, um, how do you know when it's God's voice versus just, you know, oh, this is what I want or this is what, you know, my, my spouse wants. How do you know that this is like, okay, God, you really do want me to leave this church in this season to go do this next thing? Well, first of all, his word speaks to us. So when Jimmy and I were both in our word, uh, speaking, praying and um, journaling, we would come back together and share what we were hearing God say through his word. And it, the confirmation was just one after the other, after the other specific scriptures that we may not have understood the totality of what it meant in that moment, but we marked mm. it. So we wrote it down in our journal as something we were hearing from God on this date. 
and we continued to pray. Then we would go to um, like other, every pastor needs a pastor. So we had, um, we had people in our lives that we were sharing what we were hearing God say. So that through his word, so the scripture. Now on the practical side of it, um, in our everyday life, what did that look like? It looked like frustration. It looked like the grace was lifting things that we enjoyed so much initially when we launched our mm-hmm. church were becoming a frustration, becoming something we um, didn't want to do anymore. We, it's almost like the passion was going, I'm like, Lord, what's wrong with me? And it's like the writing was on the wall that it was a necessary ending and not necessarily something wrong with me or something wrong with Jimmy or like we were failing or giving up on our church and giving up on the call of God. It was simply the Lord was showing us through his word that he was transitioning us um, and confirmed it through various people that were speaking into our life. We took a good month off um, just to go to a pastoral reboot counseling where it was um, navigating all these thoughts and feelings with an unbiased outside person. And it was a soul care thing. And, um, you know, we've done a whole lot of counseling, so many hours, you can't even count them. Right. But this was more about how to hear slow down long enough to get quiet, have no distractions and no, um, opinions of people that are recovering people pleaser myself could be swayed by the voices and opinions of people. So we were away and quiet so we could hear the one that we want to hear from most, which is God. And um, we went away on that retreat. When we got back, we knew. We knew it was time to transition. And God had already sent the person. So the like literally the month before, Pastor Stephen Chandler uh, um, was pastoring a church 20 minutes away and he said, Jimmy, I hear you're frustrated. Irene, I hear you, you sense that the grace has lifted in your pastoring. What about if we did this together? And then you can mm. focus on what, you know, God has called you to do. Maybe it looks different in the next season. So we started looking at it. Like, what do we fear? We started asking questions like, what, what, are, we, what are we scared of? Well, then we answered the question. Um, we're afraid of doing something different. (laughs) Well, um, okay. Yeah. Like change. Everybody fears change. Everybody fears transition. It's painful. There's grief involved. They're like, but I thought we were going to do this for the rest of our life. We built this church together. Like our kids are highly invested. How is this going to impact them? Like, and I thought of all the people that were a part of our church. And I'm like, how will they feel? And so, and so then I thought about it. I'm like, who am I trying to please? Who am I playing for? I'm playing for an audience of one and that's Jesus. So if I'm not obedient to him and what he's telling me to do, then I, I can't sleep at night on live. I can't live with Mm. that because I, there's so much more that can be at stake than what I even realize by trying to hold on to not changing. So 
Let me tell you, the testimony in it all, in a nutshell, is a year later, the church has exploded and j- under the new leadership, and Jimmy and I are doing what we love and um, helping people, marriages, their, the testimonies are proof. And I feel like we could have held back what the Lord wanted to do if we had held on to the baton and not handed it over. So I'm really grateful for, um, I think, people that pushed us in the right direction, too. Oh, praise God. I, I think uh, knowing when to leave something successful is so hard. <laughs> and so I, I think that that's a, a beautiful thing. Uh, the other thing I appreciate about your your um, your story there is is how much you're dependent on the disciplines that God has kind of equipped you with. And it, it really... It led me to a question um, that's going to jump into your story just a little bit. You're very open in this resource about your struggle, your own struggle with mm-hmm. addiction. I, I'm curious, um, before we get into more of the details of the story, which I know everybody will want to hear, but h- how would you describe your relationship with God and your disciplines in the midst of your addiction? You know, and, and you know, because I, I, it feels like those are probably pretty. Oh, connected. yeah, 100 percent. So here I am, a a pastor, leading a church, creating environments for people to come to know the freeing power of Jesus Christ and uh, loving it. But I was three years into pastoring and um, the stress was eating, was reaching an all time high. And um, it was at crisis point. I I didn't know how to deal with uh, betrayal, hurt in my emotional health in a healthy way. And I began medicating with alcohol. And it was during that time that I was medicating with alcohol that I completely began to operate on autopilot. So I'm doing the work for God, but I wasn't sensing him, wasn't feeling him anymore. Wasn't felt like there was a lid. Like, have you, have you ever felt like there's a lid? And I'm like, everybody else is experiencing this, like, intimate relationship with God. I look around and worship. I'm like, why is there a lid over me? And I couldn't figure it out. I just can't hear God. Can't the word, obviously, if you're drinking, you're reading the same, you know, passage over and over and over. And then I'm feeling shame about the fact that I'm drinking so that or hung over in the morning when I'm trying to do my devotions. So all of that becomes backseat when, especially when the addiction takes over and, um, I just, that's what shame does. It disconnects us from God because we hide. So I hid from the word of God. I hid from prayer. I hid from the people at church. I I literally showed up early. uh, I mean, late and left early. So I didn't have to interact the longer I was um, medicating and in the addiction. Didn't want to be on the stage because I felt shame. Um, But nobody knew. So it impacted my relationship with God tremendously. But here's the deal. The reason why I was drinking was not anything happening in that present moment in my life. It was all the stuff I hadn't even touched or uncovered that I was even unaware of in my conscious mind from my past. And that was sexual abuse in my childhood. That was um, family dysfunction, all of this pain from my childhood. I was medicating it. And the shame started literally at birth. So the shame and the disconnection from God had an early, early, early backstory. So by the time I was drinking, that disconnect from God was just at an all-time high. 
So the moment I got into rehab, literally within the first 24 hours I was there at my rock bottom of humiliation and shame as a pastor, as a wife, as a mother, here I am in rehab, humiliated, and just, I wanted the ground to swallow me up. And I, I had suicidal ideations. I was like, I can't do this. This is too much. Nobody can ever find out about this. I, at my rock bottom, when alcohol is no longer in my system and not an option to lean on, to medicate my pain and keep the cycle of dysfunction going, um, I opened my Bible and the Lord spoke to me immediately. Psalm wow. 27. And that was my theme scripture the entire time I was there. Read it over and over and over and over. Like, be strong, wait patiently on the Lord. And he promises in that scripture that you will experience joy in the land of the living. So I held on to the promises when my flesh and everything and my circumstances said otherwise. It's like when the alcohol left my system, it gave me an opportunity to hear and see uh, the word of God like I hadn't in the past. It, it was a six-year period of time that I declined, introduced alcohol back into my life, and then it became a problem three years and then probably three years of abusing it secretly Yeah. before I ended up in rehab. That's an interesting part of your story. I, I wanted to uh, I have my notes to mm -hmm. ask about because you, you drank early and you're really honest about that. And then, um, then you, you kind of put it on a mm -hmm. shelf for uh, a number of years. Do you, do you ever look back now with, with a much better awareness of who you are and see that in that dry period, I'm, I'm, that, that there were other things that were were there other things, you know, what was, what was happening in your, I mean, because the trauma until you deal with it, it doesn't go away, right? Like the trauma just, it haunts you yeah. every day. And there's somebody listening right now who's probably wrestling with trauma and, and while they, they just may be doing socially acceptable coping mechanisms, mm -hmm. right? Is that, what are your thoughts on all that? It, there was a turned into a really oh, long no, question. I'm sorry. I got, you. I got you. Yeah. Cause I mean, I think, um, what ha ended up happening a six year period of time, I went from introducing alcohol on vacation. My husband and I saying, what's the big deal about alcohol? Let's have a margarita with dinner. You know, Jesus turned water into wine. What's the big deal? Like, cause we didn't drink from the moment we met until I was in my early thirties because we were in our religious um, environment we were in, drinking was bad. If you drank, you were bad. So we, sure. I, when I'll never forget it, when I met my husband, I was like, look, I love Jesus and everything, but how do I stop doing things that I like? I like to drink. And, you know, I like margaritas. I like Corona. And he's like, you just kind of, God takes away the, the taste in your mouth when you make a decision to follow him and you're, follow him wholeheartedly. And I did. I literally just stopped. Mm. But deep down inside, because at my er first introduction to alcohol was age 10. Um, and I lived overseas and helped myself to Heineken when I, in Swiss, when I lived in Switzerland and abused it. When we moved back to the US, I, when I did get my hands on alcohol, I would abuse it. So the little alcoholic had already been formed. So by the time I hit 21 and stopped drinking, my new high was working for the church, 
working for God, Mm. having kids, buying a house. It was like high, 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 high adrenaline, high one after the other. And at 28, the adrenaline, I had my last kid by 30, the adrenaline was gone. We were settled in life. And it was like that vacation, that it was that, (laughs) that, that vacation. I'll never forget that vacation. We made the fateful decision to add something back that we had no idea. I was already an alcoholic. I already had my, my brain cells were already changed and altered at a young age. So, and then the undealt with trauma, I rolled out the red carpet for addiction, literally. That my counselors in rehab said, Irene, you were set up for addiction. And I bet there's many listeners out here who may be thinking like, okay, um, this doesn't apply to me. My story's not as dramatic as hers or whatever. But I think we all have something that's been a hurt, that we've been hurt by or experienced a trauma in our lives, whether we've all experienced COVID, we have all experienced either someone in addiction, um, betrayal, deaths all of those things that hurt our souls. And if we don't deal with it, um, yeah, it'll, and then we cope with things that are socially acceptable, like alcohol, like, dude, you can go, it's legal. The most addictive substance that exists is legal. We celebrate it. You're weird. If you don't drink, you're weird. Like, People ask you, why? Oh my gosh, you don't drink? Why? And I'm like, because I'm allergic to it. I can't have just one. <laughs> right, and it makes right. me a crazy woman. <laughs> I always have to say that I, I never had a drinking problem. Always had a stopping yep, problem. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's actually, I was actually a pretty good drinker. I know. Actually. I'm telling you, I had a tolerance that would put many guys twice, three times my size under the table. And, um, you know, I used to boast about it and it's like, no, it's not a good thing. It's, my body was trying to tell me you have a problem. <laughs> let, let me ask you this. I, I think that there's probably somebody listening who's, who heard you talk about the highs and chasing highs, you know, and that career thing is a high and that the beautiful home is a high and the kids are highs, you know, um, h- how does someone, gain the awareness of, uh, of, of wrestling with that question. Am I, am I chasing highs or am I medicating trauma where the, in, in trauma, whether that's a acute trauma, something really hard or whether it's cumulative trauma, um, difficult scenarios over a long season, you know, how, how do you, if you have any thoughts on how to, how to judge if it's, um, you know, if you're chasing, highs or if you're just trying to be a good human or, you know, how do we live in that tension? I think it's a tension we will manage for the rest of our lives. Like it's, you don't resolve it. So we have to self-evaluate and self-respect, reflect on a regular basis. And so here's the deal. It's this one word, moderation. (laughs) Mm. Anything that is out of moderation in your life, you're doing it in extreme, either too much or too little could be a problem. So let me give you a couple examples. Um, my husband, his issue was busyness. So he was so busy that he, like the church and was his world. Like he put everything into it. It was the most important thing. So our family, me and the kids suffered. 
So we were the, the consequences for him being super busy was a disconnect in the relationship with the family at home. You're leading all these people to relationship with Jesus. You're telling them how they need to have a healthy family and marriage, but then you haven't talked to your wife in a week because she's at, she's having blackouts and you're angry and um, fussing at each other. Your kids don't talk to you really because you're never around because you're so busy with work. So it's like, it looked like alcohol to me, but it, to Jimmy, it was being overly busy priorities being in the wrong place. Um, for Jimmy, it looked like he ballooned up to 420 pounds because food, you need food to live, right? So he would eat at his emotions out of moderation to the point where yeah. he gained weight and it was he was physically unhealthy as a result. So it's like, what are you doing? Is it causing you to lose sleep at night? Are you anxious? Are you more stressed? Um, because of what you are choosing to do. Like you ha actually have this thing called a free will. We have a choice. <laughs> so mm. it's like, if it's out of moderation, that's probably a sign. Um, and that means also like the opposite side, like not doing anything. So if we have apathy or whatever in our relationship with God, going to church, our church attendance um, out of moderation. So we've completely disconnected from people and isolated um we're not in our work. You know what I mean? So any extreme behavior needs to be looked at um, and assessed. And then you make a decision on, okay, how can I engage in this thing? Be a good human, serve God, serve people. But he didn't intend for me to die in my marriage to go to hell <laughs> for lack of a better word. <laughs> H -E double hockey sticks. Like seriously, like he didn't intend for my marriage to go just because I'm serving him in ministry. Like he didn't want my relationships with my children to deteriorate and fail because of busyness and work and career. He meant for us to have an abundant life. And um, in order to have that abundant life, it's that slowing down and being able to evaluate what's out of moderation right now. Hey guys, just pausing this conversation with Pastor Irene to remind you that the Reclamation Podcast is part of the Spirit and Truth Podcast Network. The Spirit and Truth Podcast Network is a 501c3 ministry of spirit and truth. Each and every day, we do our very best to equip and awaken the local church to things like disciple making, evangelism, and the power of the Holy Spirit. To find out more, to get connected, or to come be a part of our Facebook community, check us out at spiritandtruth.life. Yeah, my, it's so funny that you say that. You're, you're over here convicting me, Pastor. I, I don't have... <laughs> look, <laughs> I'm getting ready to start. Yeah, Have you ever heard of the Hard 75? It's one of those ridiculous workout things, and I'm getting ready to start some with a group of guys. Uh -huh. And the only thing I hear you saying over there is moderation, moderation, moderation. I'm like, oh, I got to drink a gallon of water today. I got to work out twice a day. Uh, so me and the Lord are going to have to talk yeah. about that. Because <laughs> let me tell you, you burn yourself out, and then you flat on uh, yeah. your face and then you're like oh then we shame ourselves and then we avoid the behavior which is actually supposed to be healthy for us right so i get it one of the things that you talk about in the in the book is this idea of about about it being a family disease um and and you and and jimmy have made some decisions to try to help 
um, shift that in your own family. I, I'm wondering if you can talk about that and, and um, you, your kids are, are, are almost grown or grown-ish kind of like, you know, like they're right in that season. Can you, can you talk about how this impacted them, how you guys handled it with sure. them, how you help them as they, um, as they continue sure. to grow? So let me get real vulnerable and give you a picture of what it was like. Um, we were building this church. It was amazing. People were um, giving their lives to Jesus. We were serving the community. It was amazing. But at home, when I would drink at night, I would, Jimmy and I would argue and my daughter would hide my, um, the two younger ones, their, hide their heads under pillows so they couldn't hear us arguing about drinking. Mm. Um, my daughter would find me passed out on the bathroom floor um, when my husband was out of town and he, she would call him and say, dad, can you come home? I, what's going on with mom? Is she sick? They didn't know anything about alcoholism and I was wow. hiding it. So they didn't know. She, he was like, just leave her there. And instead of coming home, he stayed at his engagement wherever he was. And so the mm. kids experienced trauma themselves. So uh, that's abandonment for me and Jimmy, not feeling safe around me because I was slurring words and not coherent. Um, that just as much needed to be addressed as my addiction. A lot of the time we focus on the person who's in the addiction, but the family members of the addict are just as sick emotionally as the person using a substance. So that means Jimmy had to face his uh, enabling behavior. Mm. He he he's such a strong guy. He's an eight on the Enneagram. He was like, what? I'm not an enabler. And uh, boy, when he came the family week at uh, at my rehab and started to learn how he contributed to the dysfunctional system we were in. And we realized our kids were we had introduced our kids to that dysfunction. They had to be a part of the healing. So. Oh, wow. It was Al-Anon, Alateen. So it was them getting aware that there are resources out there, people who've experienced what our family had experienced um, there and just being the, the person who's not the addict. So being able to set functional boundaries, how do I not become an enabler? They had to do all of that work. They were in counseling just as much as I was in therapy um, a big part of our healing as a family was I would come home from um, my counseling, whether it was EMDR or um, somatic therapy. I went to all kinds of therapy for whatever the need was um, that I was mm. trying to uh, deal with. I went to AA. I went to Codependence Anonymous. When I came home, I would share um, with my children, this is what I learned today. And it gave me an opportunity to say, I'm really sorry because I heard somebody share a story about how they felt about their family member or an experience they had. And I'm starting to think like, I can't imagine what you guys have felt. And part of our healing was having these family meetings once a week, 45 minutes, whoever had the baton would share a feeling or an emotion. And then we all listened. And in those family meetings, I heard a lot about how my children were impacted, how my husband was impacted by my drinking. So throughout the week, I had opportunities to say, I'm sorry, ask for forgiveness, 
And I proved to them that I was serious and that I wasn't going to betray their trust again or their, um, their ability to forgive me and how gracious they were by changing my behaviors. So not drinking. My sobriety became the most important thing to our entire family. They were pushing me out the door to go to AA and I would come home with my coin and they would celebrate the bejeebies out of me (laughs) Mm. to say, good job, mom, you got healthy. You're doing this. No shame. You know what I mean? Like we punched shame in the face when we celebrated one another. Um, And that created the safe place for healing and sharing because the trauma was real for them. And we're still dealing with the effects of that because my daughter was in ninth grade. The other two were in middle school and elementary. Now they're 17, 19, and 21. And whenever something comes up, there's a reminder, there's a trigger. We still talk about it. We still create the safe space to be like, hey, that when I saw that show, it reminded me of that time, mom, when such and such happened. And just talking about it, oh, the healing, just Mm. from just saying, mom, that hurt me. Or me saying, hey, Jimmy, when you shamed me about my drinking, like it actually made me want to drink more. (laughs) Sure. He's like, wow. And just our family healed through that honesty. As your 21-year-old had to wrestle with their own decisions about drinking? Whoa, yes. And um, my, I had to deal with the fact before they even got to that decision-making point that they might decide to do something that is contrary to what our family values are now. Now that we know there's sure. addiction in the family and they choose to drink anyway, I had to deal with how I was going to deal with that. But they have, I left the decision to them. I educated them, did the best I could to educate them and help them become aware of addiction because I wasn't aware of it. Um, And then the decision was theirs and they've tried it and made their mistakes and they're learning. Um, But at least they're going in with their eyes wide open and they know that our house always has a welcome mat. And there's no shame here. And we're going to stand behind them and help them if they ever get in a bad situation. But um, I've done everything I can to equip those babies with what they need to make good decisions. They still don't make quality decisions, but we know how to recover as a family from those bad decisions. Does that make sense? Perfect. I, I'm uh, I've, I, my oldest is 16, so I'm a little bit behind you. I have a 16-year-old, a 12-year-old, and a 10-year-old two boys and a princess. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and I, I know, I just know how I'm wired and that. And, and so I, I'm, I feel like I see it on my oldest son and he doesn't necessarily, well, you know, I'm very open and I've preached about it and I've written about it and all the, all of my shortcomings. Um, but I also know that he's really, he's really acutely aware that he's not me. Um, <laughs> Dad, I'm not you. Oh, okay, yep. son. I, I, I got you. I mm-hmm. love you. You call me when you need yeah. me, <laughs> right? I, I don't know. It's this. It's a daily act of surrender, it right? Sure I, I is. It really is surrendering it to God. Like I. Oh my goodness, it is. And you know what? Just to encourage you, even though um, uh, there has been some dabbling on their part, and to the point where 
it could have gone gone to the unmanageability side the yeah. as the consequences were increasing for my son he began to see it and be able to articulate oh my gosh mom does this mean so if i didn't want to go to class a lot because i was uh under the influence does mm. that mean that uh it really was impacting my life and i'm like yeah you know and i'm just trying not to be like, yeah dummy right. you know but um <laughs> how many times do you have this conversation like haven't you had enough proof mom being in rehab like hello but he had to get it for himself and so at least i'd been able to infuse enough uh conversations about the addiction scale and what the slope looks like that the light mm. bulb went off and he was like hmm this is headed the wrong direction this really could make my life unmanageable oh let me stop so praise god we're at yeah. a good place right now we're really yeah good i love it i love it with him and her and all of them <laughs> yeah <laughs> One of the things that you talk a lot about in the book and in your story um, is is holistic mm-hmm. healing and how it, I mean, so you clearly love the Lord and I love that. You're an incredible pastor and you're pastoring pastors. Um, you believe in divine healing. It's I, I've listened to enough of your sermons to know that that's that's a part of your ministry, which I I, I love as well and believe in the power of the Holy Spirit. Um, I also have a counselor. And, um, on occasion when, you know, in this season of my walk, uh, believe in the power of the 12 steps and we'll go to a 12 step meeting when I need to, um, like talk, talk to me about, um, bringing all of that together in your world. And, and cause it, the, your rehab place was, was more than just, uh, it wasn't church no, camp, right? It was not, it actually wasn't a Christian quote unquote environment. Um, it was, it was, it's called actually the Meadows Treatment Center in Wickenburg, Arizona for anybody who's interested in it. And they dealt with it. It was a dual diagnosis place. So they dealt with addiction through the lenses of trauma. So like Hmm. number one, like you were saying, the 12 step program, which people don't realize if I simplified it, it's Jesus in the Beatitudes, like it's Bible. Right. It's literally the renewal of the mind and reframing uh, behaviors that were, weren't serving us well in dysfunction. And it's renewing our mind to behave in a, by repeating the same thing over and over and over with accountability mm. of a sponsor, with accountability of a group, a support group, and hearing stories and testimonies. That's what those 12-step programs are. They're not weird, crazy for those people. They actually are for all of us because um, all of that renewing of the mind and becoming this functional adult versus the leave and leaving the dysfunction behind comes from awareness. So it's being around other people, hearing their stories. Uh, You know, wow, you've been sober for 20 years. How did you do it? I still crave alcohol. When does the cravings go away? Like I look to somebody who's gone ahead of me to get that information. And so going to those support groups, whether it's Celebrate Recovery or um, AA really helped me feel like I wasn't alone. I wasn't crazy. People speak my language, gave me tools on how to avoid relapse 
because I heard their stories. I'm like, ooh, hungry, angry, lonely, <laughs> tired. And you relapse after seven right. years. How does that not become me? <laughs> or becoming a dry drunk. You're not drinking, but you have all the behaviors of as if you were still under the influence. So becoming aware of all of these things gave me new things to tackle. Um, embracing the fact that the 12 steps was a recovery program and we all need to recover from something because we've all been hurt. We've all had a hang up like unforgiveness. People have experienced divorce, trauma, all of us. And then all of us have the propensity to have a, uh, a habit that can become unmanageable and impact our lives. So going to these recovery programs tells us, number one, admit that you have an issue. That's the first step. Then um, whether it's codependency, people pleasing, overworking, overeating, it could be anything. It's not just a substance. And then you need God in order to move forward. Because when we confess our sins to God, we're forgiven. When we confess um, our sins to each other, we're healed. So we're walking around forgiven a lot of the time, these church people. Accused, mm -hmm. but we're not healed because we don't tell anybody else. We don't have that counselor. We don't have that support system of people who are broken, raggedy rag dolls, just like us, all of us in need of a savior, all of us in need of Jesus. We need to be surrounded by people who are comfortable um, not being perfect. So like it, I'm so glad I don't have to be this perfectionist and hide in my perfectionism anymore and taking care of other people and not taking care of myself. And I learned in the 12 step program, like that, stay connected to God, stay out of resentment. You know, the steps tell us to deal with our resentment and forgiveness, ask for forgiveness on a regular basis. And then everything that we learn, we give it away and it helps keep you sober. It's like, the renewing of the mind, the Bible has um, always been there. And like, it's it's crazy how before science and science is now catching up to the Bible. It's yeah. all there in the Bible. But we look at it like it's for those people. Recovery is for addicts. How about recovery if the, by definition means to return to one, um, the, one's natural state of mind, strength, and body? to recover what was lost or stolen. We've all had mm. something lost. We've all had something stolen. We've all can benefit from ret returning to God's original intent for us. But anyway, now I'm preaching. So I'm going to, uh, I love it. Let's, I, let, let, <laughs> I'm ready to take an offering. Let's go. <laughs> like, recoveries for everyone. We can. Oh, I, listen, I, I, I really believe that Matthew 28 disciple making is what we see in in recovery. I think it's so important mm -hmm. to walk alongside people. Um, I, I know that there are a lot of church people listening mm -hmm. right now, and um, they may not realize that this message is for them, but undoubtedly they know someone in their church right now who's in the thick of it. And, and whether that person admits that they're in the thick of it or not, we all know we can see them a mile away. They're in the midst of it. What What's the response um, that the average church person can take um, to one help, um, but but maybe even more importantly, not hurt? Mm, this is oh yes, that is such a good question because 
I feel like as Christians, once we give our lives to Jesus and we become a follower of Christ, we can become very um, dogmatic in our thinking in terms of like, Mm -hmm. okay, if the Bible says this and I don't get it right, then shame on me, right? Then the shame comes, so we hide. And then we don't want to tell anybody because we fear anybody knowing that we're imperfect. And then the cycle just goes on and on and on of hiding because when we isolate, the enemy has so much fun with us. So why would we as Christians do anything different than love the way Jesus loved. He, how did he, he's our ultimate example, right? For everything we do. And he showed compassion and empathy for people that were wounded, hurting in need. So that's my advice, empathy, show compassion, ask questions like, um, how can I help? What's going on in your world? I'm not saying the Bible says to exp- go, um, the apostle Paul said it really well, like go into somebody's world and experience it from their point of view, but I didn't have to take on their way of life. So you still have a mm. boundary that says, I'm not saying that what you're doing is okay. In fact, now that I've built relational equity and just loved on you, been around you, empathized, I've been compassionate. I, share with you what the truth of the word of God says. If I'm asked and invited in, um, I have Mm -hmm. boundaries where you can't drink in my house, but I'd be happy to, you know, um, drive you to rehab or I'd be happy to, you know, like offering things when you're welcomed in, not forcing it on someone or shaming somebody with the Bible. So, um, how can I be a help asking questions? Um, do you think your drinking is a problem? Do you think you're, uh, um, I don't know, maybe somebody in your church confesses that they've been watching porn. The statistics say that more than 85% of people are looking at it on a daily basis. So, you know, they're confessing. Don't shame them with, you shouldn't have looked at that. Why don't you get uh, Covenant Eyes or some type of software on your, just ask them, get curious about where, like it started and empathize with maybe it's trying to cover up some type of pain and then offer the resources. So the thing about um, whatever it is you're dealing with, get educated, whether it's alcohol, porn, there's devotions out there on version, a boatload about everything you can think of that somebody approaches you about at church, betrayal trauma, identity issues, addiction, there's great devotionals, do a devotion together and then talk about what it is that you're learning about. And then a lot of the time they will get to a place where like, I see myself in that. Maybe I do have a problem. What options can you help me? And then you help them get help. That's good. I I don't think we can ever have enough empathy. Mm -hmm. I think that's a a really good word. Um, okay, I have one more question for you, but before I ask it, I know that my listeners are going to want to connect with you all over the interwebs. Um, I, there's about 100 questions we didn't get to about reframing, and the book comes out August 2nd. I just want to encourage you to go get it, but where can they learn about what, uh, how God is using you and Jimmy and sure. your guys' ministry? Um, you can follow me on social media at Irene Rollins on uh, Instagram. Um, and, uh, my marriage ministry, you can find us at two equals one.com and that's spelled out T W O equals 
one.com. And uh, for that's for our marriage ministry with the coaching. You can learn more about how to have a um, an intensive at your church uh, for your church leadership. Um, and we do participate in conferences and things like that there. Um, and then IreneRollins.com. If you visit just my name online and you can uh, download a free uh, gift if you pre-order my book or if uh, this episode airs after my August 2nd launch. Uh, there'll be resources on my website as well. And my tip, Twitter and Facebook and all that fun stuff will be there as well. All the, all all the, the things. things. Um, okay. Last question I always love to ask people. It's an advice question. Except, uh, So I'm going to ask you to give yourself one piece of advice, except I get to name the, uh, the season. Okay. So uh, I, I'd like to invite you to give yourself one piece of advice the day after you married Jimmy. And so, uh, so if you pull up a chair in front of that young lady who, um, who's got all those heavy things inside of her, but also has just married this amazing, um, pastor and is madly in love. If you could look her in the eyes, what's the one piece of advice you're going to give her? Okay. I had to close my eyes and think and picture that young lady again, just who doesn't know anything about anything. And the one thing I can think of is actually a word in Swahili and it's pole, pole, slowly, slowly. That's what it means. And I climbed Mount Kilimanjaro in 2013 and the guides that were with me, they challenged me. They said, Irene, you have to respect the mountain. If you go too fast, you will get sick from altitude sickness. So the whole time I climbed that mountain, it was the hardest thing I'd ever done before rehab. They said, pole, pole, slowly, slowly. And that's the advice I would give her. I'd say, honey, take it slow. One day at a time. Don't bite off more than you can chew. It's going to be ugly. It's going to be messy. You're not going to be able to breathe some days. And, but you're not going to die. You'll make it if you go slow, slowly, slowly. Yeah. Amen. Amen. What a great, what a great place to end at. Uh, Pastor, thank you so much for your generosity of time today and your heart and your vulnerability is so good. I know it's going to help so many people. That's my prayer. I just want to help people get free. Yeah. That's all I want to do. Bring awareness and, uh, help people get free so they can enjoy and live the, their best lives and be the best versions of themselves. So yeah, I really appreciate the opportunity to do that and testify. Wow. I love this conversation with Pastor Irene. I can guarantee you that you're going to hear more from her later. We're going to get together again with her husband, talk about their marriage ministry and all the things. Um, what I really love about this conversation is how personal it got. I love how honest and vulnerable she is. What an incredible voice that the church needs to hear. Again, thank you guys so much for being a part of the Reclamation community. Thank you for listening and for giving up your time. Again, the best compliment you can give us, hit that subscribe button, leave a rating or review on iTunes or Spotify, and be sure to share this episode with a friend. I appreciate all you guys so much. And remember... If you want to follow Jesus, you must be willing to move.